It's good to, to be here. Um, I'm not sure you picked it up, but the theme of all of the, the songs today had a, a similar a similar heart in terms of what they are. I just uh, grabbed some of the music. Um, they were all about just giving our, our whole and our, our life to the Lord. All right, what songs do we sing? Who can remember? Kids, remember the songs we sang today? Adults? Well, see, the thing about the adults is you can remember what songs you sung like 40 years ago in church, but, but maybe, you, maybe you missed one. Let's see how well, how well they, Darcy, we have trust and obey, right? There's, let's, let's think about trust and obey, just, just whatever comes. Let's see if I, if, I, if I pull this here. You know, kind of what, if we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. Just, there's not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but... Our toil He quickly repays. Just, just God is, is with us if we just would trust and obey and submit to Him. That's a good one. And Nancy, what did you say? Take my life, Take my life right? Frances Havergal, I remember this, she wrote this uh, just the night after she had a chance to really share the Gospel with somebody. And, and she said, God, everything I have, and just even there, take my life and my hands and my voice and my silver and my love and my will and just everything. Just, just God, you use it. It's just all yours, God. Will you use it? What else we sing? Who's got one? I surrender all. I take all that I am, Lord, and um, every desire and all the ambitions. Um, just... Make you the focus. Just put it at your feet, O oh Lord. And I, I just I surrender everything to you. Well, I think we sang five songs today. What were the other ones? Maybe revive us again, right? Just just may God you stir us in our hearts, right? And Alleluia, what a Savior! Alleluia, Amen. But God, may you may we revive us and stir us so that we might might seek you. And then we start off with before the throne of God above. That's that's lest we uh, despair in light of our, of our hearts and our failures that we have someone who is there before the throne to, to help us all the way. Well, that's thematic of what I preached last week and what I, I preached this week. In light of the new year, in light of all of our tendencies to examine our lives, in light of all of our readiness for uh, sweeping changes in our life to begin, I preached a title last week called A Call to Holiness. From Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And uh, we encouraged you all last week to get some Bible reading, perhaps. How many of you uh, really got it reading your Bible this week? Okay, good, good. And maybe you can really keep at it and keep doing. That would be a, a wonderful thing. Well, last week, my message was entitled, A Call to Holiness. This week, my message is entitled, A Call to Holiness, Part 2, right? Because uh, I didn't get through everything last week. And um, so last week uh, we focused, if you can open your Bibles, if you haven't done so already, to uh, Romans uh, chapter 12. It's in the Pew Bibles, page 126 in the New Testament, so on towards the back. And uh, I looked mostly at verse 1, spent a little bit of time in verse 2, and today we're going to do a little bit of verse 1, actually still a bit in verse 1, and then we'll, uh, we'll spend in some more time here in verse 2. Um, but I just want to read our text and then dive into our message. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, Paul says, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Fathers, we come now to that time uh, throughout the week where we just open your word and expose it. I pray, Lord, for your spirit to come and show us where we need help. And um, God, energize us and give us help. God, where we need it. I, I pray that we at Rock Valley Bible Church would be a dependent people knowing that these aren't the kind of things that we can do on our own. We can surrender, but really, God, we need you to help and empower. And I pray that you would do a work right now, even as I preach, in our hearts. God, to give us a, a zeal and a desire and a passion to pursue you with our our whole hearts. God, do a work that's far beyond what what I can do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, these verses are a call to holiness. They're a call to a, a sanctified, dedicated, uh, committed life, sold out to God. You can see it right there in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, there it is, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. In other words, give yourself entirely to the Lord. Be like a burnt offering. Leviticus chapter 1 speaks about the burnt offerings. A burnt offering was totally consumed and burnt up for the Lord to be a fragrant aroma before Him. And so I just say this, let your life go up in flames before the Lord. Live your whole life to God. Be like Paul who said to the Ephesian elders, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul is telling to the Ephesian elders as he was on his way to Jerusalem where it had been prophesied of him that he would be bound and he would go in prison. He said, I don't care. Uh, my, my life is the Lord's and I don't count my life as dear to myself. When, when Paul looked to his life, he saw his life as a race to be run. He says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's so Paul here in Romans 12. One gives a reason why we should do so. And the reason is there is called the mercies of God. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That's my first point last week on your bulletin. If you have one, just God's mercy. I trust you remember from last week this little phrase, which I said contains the entirety of chapters one through eleven. It's all about God's mercy, where Paul traces God's mercy in our life, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. For there's none of us who does good, not even run, one, Romans 3.12. And the wages of our sin is death, Romans 6.23. But God, in His mercy, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from our sins. That's Romans 3, verse 24. And we who believe in Jesus are forgiven of our sin and with that sin which had condemned us. And now we face no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1. And when we believe in God, our faith is credited to us as righteousness. We are made righteous and holy. And now in Christ Jesus, we cry, Abba, Father. That is, we, we have an intimate relationship with the Lord, a, a daddy relationship, not a far off 
Lord sovereign relationship, but there's a, a close relationship there that we have with the Lord. And what, what, what Christ began, he will complete. Romans 8, 38, 39, unconvinced that neither height, death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That the God works, grants us by his mercy, by faith in him. He continues on. There's nothing separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. As James Montgomery Boyce said, what can separate my soul from the God who made me whole? Wrote my name in heaven's scroll. And then he says nothing. Hallelujah. Nothing can separate us from that. What grace that is. And the only right response to God's mercy and grace in life of total dedication to the Lord. Back in Romans chapter 6, after just espoused how we are justified by Him, um, the, the question comes, Romans 6 verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we continue in sin that grace might increase? Because where sin abounded, grace superabounded to cover and forgive that sin. And Paul says, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And that's just a precursor of what's happened here in chapter 12, verse 1. By the mercies of God, how can you who know the mercies of God do anything but live wholeheartedly for Him? That's God's mercy. Let's look at our body. Your body. You can see that there in verse 1. I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. You know, when God instructed the Israelites on the sorts of sacrifices to bring before Him, He instructed them that they should be flawless and without defect. Leviticus 22 is a chapter you want to read. It just says how it needs to be uh, um, an animal which is, um, I guess, without defect, flawless. I'm looking for other words. It should be perfect. Unblemished would be a good word. right? If it's blind or maimed, or they have any sort of scab or open sore, God said that animal will not be accepted. You, you will offer that animal in vain if it's a, a blind, lame defective animal. And there's the same parallel that comes over into our lives. As we offer ourselves to living sacrifices to the Lord, we need to be pure and blameless. Because even as it says here in verse 1, that we ought to um, present ourselves this way to be acceptable to God. Or you might say we should be holy. That's what he says there, right? Offer your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. That's where I get my message, right? A, a call to holiness. That, that we might be acceptable. That we might be received by the Lord. That, that He might be pleased with our lives. And, and the assumption here is, and I think it's the right assumption, that, that we, an offering our bodies, might not be pleasing to the Lord as well. God might not accept our lives. He might be displeased with them. The writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews 12:14, Without holiness... We will not see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, verse 14. And so without holiness, there's not going to be that vision of God. There's not going to be an opportunity to see. There's not going to be a reception from Him. Now, the good news is this. This is how the mercy of God intersects then with, um, with holiness. Those He saves, He empowers to live a holy life. Right? In other words, God doesn't save us and then say to us, okay, I've forgiven you. You're clean. Now go and see if you can live a holy life. He doesn't just kind of pat us and say, okay, you go on your way now. You live a holy life. And, and maybe then I'll, I'll accept you and you'll be okay. Good luck. We'll see at the end. Maybe you'll get in. He doesn't say that. Instead, what God does is He works in us 
to mold us and conform us to the image of his son. Turn back to Romans chapter eight. I just want to show you this. This is how the mercies of God work. So lest you think, hey, I've got to make sure I'm holy and blameless so I can stand before the Lord and be this holy and pure sacrifice. Romans 8 says this, beginning of verse 28, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. These, these people here are identified as people who, who love God. They're identified as people who are called according to His purpose. And, and in people's lives like that, God works in such a way that He brings about good. Even when temptations come, even when trials come, even when hardship comes, they are all, catch this, designed by God for our good. That's the point of the verb in verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. In other words, God is working in our lives even when the terrible things come. He's bringing it so as to conform us to the image of His Son. You say, how does he do this? Well, look at verse 29. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, these he also called. And and these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. See, God's plan for our lives began a long time ago, long before we were born long before the world was created. It says, before the foundation of the world is when God chose us in Him to be believers in Christ. That's what we read here in verse 29. It's those whom He foreknew. And who did He foreknow? He foreknow those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Or He, he foreloved them. These are the ones that He did that as He saw them. And, and these whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In other words, God planned beforehand that there would be these people who's called the elect in the Scripture. There would be these elect who He would take and He would conform into the image of His Son. He would make them living in holy sacrifices. That's what God decided and determined to do. He planned that we would be holy. We planned, as it says there in verse 29, that we'd be conformed to the image of His Son. That's what a holy and blameless sacrifice is about. It's one who's conformed to the image of Jesus. And it speaks about one who's taken from a life of slavery and sin, one to a life of freedom and redemption in Jesus Christ. But notice, however, the the progression here in verse 29. Those whom He foreknew, He predestined. And, And these He predestined, He called. And these He called, He justified. And these He justified, these He also glorified. These are like links on a chain. These are like, like tunnels you're passing through. If you pass through one of them, you're on this train and you're going to pass through all of them. This is a, a link that will not be broken. And just know this, that if God foreknew you, if God predestined you, if He called you, if He justified you, then you can look forward to being glorified with Jesus. Well, how do you know if you're one of these people? Well, have you been called? Have you been justified? Has God called you into His kingdom? Have you heard the Gospel? Have you believed on His Son? Through faith, have you been justified in His sight? If that's so, if you, if you believe and trust in Him, then you can be glorified. You will be glorified. just been dealing with somebody recently who's not a Christian. I've been talking with him and um, just... Again and again and again, I keep, I keep telling him, hey, to believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. And he says, it's so hard. 
I said, believe in Christ. Cast your burdens upon the Lord. He'll sustain you. I said, Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. And I said, just just forsake your life. Confess your sin. Cry out to God. And he says, oh, it's so hard. I don't know. And, and probably over the last three weeks or so, I've had conversations with this man. He's been calling me. I've been talking to him back and forth. And, and, and so there's something that maybe the Spirit's drawing him. But as I'm calling him to faith in Christ, he just, he just, he's just not, not getting there. He said, so hard, so hard to believe. I said, well, have you cried out to God just, just for help to believe? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Do, do you want to believe? And, and I just know this. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know what? God's got to stir in his heart. God's got to stir in his mind if ever he's going to come to faith in Christ. And I'm sure, but I know that if he comes, he's going to be justified and he's going to be glorified. It's very interesting. Look at how sure Paul is this ring won't be broken. And how comforting it is to say that it's not you know, some he foreknew he predestined and some who he predestined he justified and he called and some who he called he justified and some who he justified he glorified. He says it's all those whom he foreknew he predestined and called and justified and glorified. But, but notice how certain Paul is that once you start on this link, you, are, you will be there at the end because all of these verbs are past tense. Did you notice that? Of course, it's for knowing and predestinating, of course, that's past tense. But he says he called you and justified. And for many of us in, in this room that we trust Jesus, we know that's past tense. But, but look at this. He's also glorified. That's a future expectation we're waiting for. But Paul puts it in the past tense because it's as good as done. So let's go back to this idea in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, about being an acceptable sacrifice to God. Listen, God's mercy is such that He'll work in the lives of those who believe in Him to bring lives that are holy and acceptable before Him. So, the obvious question is this. Do you see God working in your life? Do you see God bringing you into conformity with His Son? Do you see a measure of victory over your sin? Are you walking closer and closer to the Lord every passing year? You know, I think um, I think our, our walk with the Lord is much like um, much like the stock market graph. You ever seen anything like that? That you know, uh, I know Phil Guskey in his office got a, a graph of the stock market from the depression until today. And you know what? It's got its ups and downs, and, and it's got seasons where it's going down. But what what happens overall? It's it's just moved up and and outgained everything. It just kind of you know that's a, the best investment is right right there. It just kind of goes uh, goes up. And, and I think that's a life of a, of a Christian, of a believer. His life over the long run is going up and he is seeing some measure, though there are some times and seasons where things might be difficult. And he might 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 go down. But but in general. And so I just say you look at your life and in general, are, are you walking closer with the Lord this year than you were last year? Are you walking closer to the Lord this year than you were three years ago? Do you, do you see a progress in your life? Is there a growth in your life? What a great New Year's resolution that'd be, right? That I'd walk closer with the Lord this year than I did last year. As we talked last week about resolutions, that would be a good one. It's like Jonathan Edwards, the famous theologian of colonial America, perhaps the greatest American theologian of all time. Throughout the course of his life, he didn't write resolutions just in January 1st. He wrote resolutions kind of all throughout his life, just, just passionately wanting to pursue God. If you haven't read them before, I commend them to you. Um, you just search Jonathan Edwards resolutions. You can see I'll, I'll link to them from my sermon manuscript that will be up there this week sometime. 
Resolution number 30 says this, Resolve to strive to my uttermost every week to be brought higher in religion and to a higher exercise of grace than I was before. In other words, that I might have an ever-increasing love for the Lord this week than I had last week. And then week after that than I have this week. And just every week he wanted to, to have an ever-increasing um, exercise of grace in his life. And you can add it, you say month by month I want to increase and year by year I want to increase. That's what Paul's calling for us here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And so maybe you're here today and you say, I'm not experiencing that. I, I, my, my life, if you if you to take my, my life, my graph, my Christian walk, maybe I blooped at the beginning and maybe I've been, been pretty static. There's not, not been this up. Well, I've got two comments for you. First of all, know that growth and godliness is slow. So maybe you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not growing. Maybe you are growing a bit. Okay, maybe there is a maybe there is a growth, but it's a slow, painful process. In Romans chapter seven, Paul speaks of the struggle that it is. Even for a believer in Christ, it is a struggle. Back in chapter seven, verse eighteen, Paul writes, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. It's the struggle. You can read Romans 7 of the, the struggle of sin and righteousness in the life of a believer. And it may well be that God is taking you through that slow and painful process and you're seeing that. But it may well be, maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you've, you've never trusted in Christ. You've never really bowed the knee. Oh, maybe you're here today. You Maybe you said you believe. But... Maybe your delight in your sin is the very proof that you don't believe because when you believe, God, God sheds that and you'll be shamed of your sin and you'll live a life, as Martin Luther said, of a continual repentance. You just always admit your sin, always confess it. And it may be that God isn't bringing you into the conformity of the image of His Son because you aren't one of His. You haven't trusted Him. Maybe you're trying to do it all in your own strength. And by the way, that won't ever work. It's it's not this this link about those whom he foreknew, he predestined, he he called, he justified, he glorified. Maybe you're not on that link, and maybe that's why all your struggles and all your trials that's where that's where it's ending. And if so, I just bring you back to chapter ten, verse nine. If you confess with your mouth Jesus Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead you will be saved. And that's the glorious message of the Gospel. Just believe in Him. Trust in Him. And as you do that, as you confess Him as Lord, and that just doesn't mean you just say the words, right? It means that you, you say them, you believe them, you, you act upon them. And to act upon the words Jesus is Lord means that you bow the knee to Him and He is your sovereign King. I say believe in the Lord and and offer your body living sacrifice. And maybe 2003 will be the year where your graph goes up. Well, that's my little bit of time in verse 1. Now we're going to dig into verse 2. Verse 1 de- describes a, a one-time commitment to yourself, to the Lord. It's an it's a offer, your bodies, a living and holy sacrifice. Verse 2 describes an ongoing process of how you can continually maintain and increase your devotion and holiness to the Lord. All right, the Greek tense, the, the tense of the verbs in the Greek, give it away. 
Paul, when he talks here about, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, here it is, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. That, that verb there is in the aorist tense, which means it's a past, one-time kind of action. It means you can understand this verse is speaking about a point of conversion when a soul is transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. It's a, it's a one time where you offer your body to the Lord and say, here I am. But verse 2 is different. It uses different tenses. There are two commands in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Second one, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and these are in the present tense. The present tense is a continual action, uh, is what the Greek text is. It means that, that it continually happens. So you might well translate these verses. Don't be continually conformed to this world, but be continually transformed by the renewing of your mind. I mean, this ought to be the characteristic of our life. Is we ought not to go into conformity to the world, but we ought to go in transforming by the word toward the life of God. That's what these are. That's why we can really apply them today to us. Every single one of us have need to continually um, turn away from the Lord, from the world and be transformed to continue to focus our mind to the Lord. Now, before we actually dig into those, I do want to want to grab the last half of the verse that speaks about the will of God. As we live this life that's not conformed to the world, but that's transformed by the renewing of our mind, we will prove something. We will show something and demonstrate. What will we demonstrate? We will demonstrate what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. Right? We will show what, what God's will is in our life what God's will is for all of our lives when we walk in this way, denying the world and pursuing God. You know, people are always looking for the will of God in their lives. <laughs> and I say, it's right here. You say, what, what's God's will for my life? And I say, it is right here. It is that we won't be conformed to this world, but will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And in so, the transforming of our mind, we will then increase in sanctification and increase in holiness. You'll pursue that. It's very interesting. As I, I kind of thought about the will of God, there were several passages that came to mind that are like exactly parallel to this passage. First Thessalonians four, verse three says this real simple. This is the will of God. Your can you fill in the bank? Your sanctification. That's like the exact same thing. You want to know what the will of God is? It's your sanctification. What is the will of God? Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what God's will is for all of our lives. Your sanctification, your holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 is talking about sexual purity. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, you abstain from sexual immorality. Right? Porneia. It's a common word today. Pornography. Pursue God. Not that. God's will for you is sanctification. How about this one? 1 John 2, 15, 16. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So it's not the ways of the world because if you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father. For all that's in the world and describes the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, that's not from the Father, it's from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. I trust you see he's talking about mostly about the world and, and don't love the world because the world isn't Godward, right? Rather pursue Godward things. And thus pursue again the will of God. The will of God is stay away from the world. The, world, the, the will of God is stay away from the love of the world. And that's exactly what Romans 12 
2 is talking about. Don't be so in the world that you're so conformed to the world. They mention the will of God. Alright, so listen. As, as we look at these two commands here. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Know that this puts us right in the center of God's will for our lives. Is right here. What a great thing as we think about 2013. Okay, point number three. Here it is. Don't be conformed. It's right there in the text. Verse 2. Do not be conformed. Don't be conformed to what? To this world. Literally, it says, do not be conformed to this age. In other words, don't let this world have an impact upon you. Don't let this world place its mark upon your character and upon your behavior. I just say this, we all live in the world. We're all flesh. We all speak English. We all live here in America. And I just say the world has a powerful influence upon us, especially in America. You had some folks to dinner this past week and they were telling us about they had a, uh, a 20th anniversary cruise they took in the Mediterranean. Um, this was a couple years ago. And you think about what happened a couple years ago in the Mediterranean. Arab Spring was happening in the Mediterranean. Scared away a lot of customers. So they got cheap tickets and so went on this cruise to the Arab world. And, and uh, his wife is a good friend of ours. And uh, she keeps a blog I follow. She's pretty funny. And so we pulled up some of these pictures. And my favorite picture was her. She was in Egypt. And you know the big sphinx in Egypt. And she did one of those things where she's like, Kissing the Sphinx was the Sphinx way back there, you know, and she's right here. And so that was that was kind of fun. So we pulled up and they had some hats on. It was kind of some Arab kind of hats. They said, hey, it was kept us kind of cool, but we thought it looked kind of funny. We had a laugh back and forth. But here's what she wrote in her blog. And so this was a couple years ago. I just pulled it up. She said, it's good to travel. It's very easy for those of us living in the United States to get the wrong idea of hardships. Hardships in the United States come in many forms, like running out of homemade bread and having to make more or real hardship, like having a dishwasher break, or perhaps not being able to find the remote for the TV or the ceiling fan for a few days. But what about having your country in complete chaos and having trash in the streets? And then she showed some pictures there in Alexandria where they were, second biggest city in Egypt. I think Cairo's the first. Four million people just trashed just right out there in the middle of the street, right next to the water, which is their drinking water. You know, food cafes kind of right along the highway, just kind of right out there in the open air. Cars kind of with that rubble, kind of just sitting around. Um, and, um, and, and then she also talked about how um, experience that one of her friends had went out in, in Egypt the day before. Apparently they had some kind of outing and there was a friend there. It was out in a crowd of people in the broad daylight and a man touched her inappropriately, kind of with a crowd of people. And she just said, this is a this is a, a difficult place. And, and she said, reflecting on America, she said, do you feel safe walking around in broad daylight with a group of people? Good. So do I. Welcome to our current free country. Welcome to the land where the people fought for your freedom. But not so in Egypt. And and that's just one country of many. For those of you who've been to different countries, you know, right? Miko and Ara, it's a little bit different in the Philippines than it is here, right? And Dirk, you've been to... A lot of countries, it's a lot different in other places than it is here. Whether that's sanitation, whether that's comfort, whether it's ease, whether it's convenience. Uh, We live in a comfortable place. We don't struggle for the next meal. We have to walk to the market and bring back our daily water. Like many people have to do, they have to go to the well and then bring back the water every day. 
We have stores and restaurants that abound in goods. I remember having some Chinese students in our home over Thanksgiving break. It's a great outreach to them. We did um, for a few years. And uh, one of them, I remember we, we had to get something. I got it from Walmart. And we're just walking through Walmart. You know, it takes several minutes to get where across the store. And we're talking about, he's just, wow, this is such a big place. We're like, yeah, it is a big place. Kind of as we're walking along and, oh, yeah, we're going over there. You know, finally going to get it. And all he knows is just kind of little corner shops. So he doesn't know. Remember John Piper calling America Disneyland. We have it easy. Pleasures all around. Incredible freedom. But it does distort our picture a little bit. I think the world can get in there more than you ever know. I remember John MacArthur was telling about the time he was in Russia teaching some Russian pastors. And after several days of intense Bible training, as he was just going through the Bible and exposing scriptures, one of the Russian pastors said, um, when are we going to get to the good stuff? He kind of felt insulted by that a little bit, like, <laughs> I haven't been talking about good stuff. I mean... You know, I mean, uh, I think good stuff comes out of his mouth. He's been talking just Bible, you know, he just and um, so he said, well, what do you mean by that? And it came out. This man was talking about heaven. He said, when are we going to talk about heaven? Because that's the good stuff. And what's happening? Here's a guy. He's not living in comfort. He's being persecuted, probably in the Russian society. Maybe he's known some persecution from of old and he's not got his heart set upon here. He's got his heart set upon there and longing to hear about there because that's the good stuff. But what's happened to us? We have it so good here that we don't want Christ to come because we want to live out our days in our pleasure. And then then maybe after we've experienced things, maybe that's okay for Jesus to come. The problem is we're so attached to our comforts and our pleasures here. We're not like the vast majority of the world who are who are living in, in difficulties. Uh, I remember seeing something recently where yeah, I think in India, I'm guessing like maybe a third of the people there have no indoor sanitation, no proper sanitation. So they go down by the railroad tracks and do their business. They, they, just, they don't. It, it's just what we have here is so convenient. Right. My dad grew up without indoor plumbing and without electricity. He knows what it's about. But we have so much here now. We have heat and warmth and God has been so gracious to us. In America, we have it so good, we can easily miss the fact that the world is not our home. We're, we're just a passing through. But we're, we're here. We're settling. And the world probably has more of a grip on us than we, we think. And maybe we in America don't think too much about heaven because things are pretty good for us here upon the earth. Let us not be conformed to the world. Now, lest you feel guilty about enjoying the comfortable pleasures of life. No, the, the Bible says okay to enjoy the comfortable pleasures. First Timothy 4, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In other words, the comforts you have in life, enjoy them. They are sanctified by means of the Word of God and prayer. It, it's not sinful to enjoy a soft couch or a meal or a nice restaurant or a day at the beach. Realize that they are gifts from the Creator and respond by being thankful to those gifts. It's totally appropriate. But realize such comforts can draw us away from the world, so let us not be conformed to the world. Now, I, I say all that, but I say this. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about directly here. He's not talking about the pleasures of the world. These, these people lived... 2,000 years ago with all, all the pleasures we have. It's just worse for us. I think primarily he's talking about the world 
I think about like First John, how he defined the world. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. He's talking about sin. He's talking about attitudes. He's talking about perspectives. He's talking about philosophies. So like even Paul would say in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. I'm just going to turn over there real fast and just quote it for you. See to it that no one take you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of man, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So, right, so don't, don't be take, taken captive by the world's philosophies and the, the world's religions and the world's methods. Don't, don't, but go the way of Christ is what he's saying. And I think that Paul here is talking about the world. He's talking about the world's sins, like the deeds of the flesh, immorality and impurity and sensuality. He's talking about idolatry and sorceries and enmities and strife and jealousies, outbursts of anger and disputes and dissensions and factions. He's talking about envying. He's talking about drunkenness. He's talking about carousing. Those are the things of, of the world. He's talking about don't be influenced in those ways. Don't be conformed to those things. First Corinthians says, bad company corrupts good morals. He says, don't be corrupt by the, the thing of the world. Don't be corrupt by the talk of the world. Don't be corrupt by the, by the philosophy of the world. Don't be swayed there. Don't, don't complain like the world does. Have you ever noticed if you're in the presence of complainers, how easy it is just to, yeah, well, let me tell you what's bad. But let me tell you. And you, just, you just keep going that way. He says, no, no, don't be like that. Walk like Christ does, not like the way of the world. But I, I do think that there's a particular danger to us in our culture that that Paul really didn't even have any idea of. Because I think in our age, there's a particular danger of being influenced and conformed to the world. And maybe you'll catch it when I, I, I read for you how one man described a day in a life, a typical American adult, a typical American male. The waking moments begin with the radio alarm reporting the weather, traffic, and headlines. Breakfast is gulped down with a side of business news and features from the morning newspaper. Then the commute to work, where the companion for the drive is the radio talk show host, lathered into a political frenzy or a shock jock whose tongue releases a barrage of crude humor. At the office, checking email presents opportunities through the morning for a bit of extracurricular web surfing to shop for a birthday kit a gift or check out a favorite blog and catch up on the latest celebrity news. Lunch in the break room is spent connecting with favorite sports magazine while the TV talk show blares overhead, showcasing the latest claimants to the fleeting fame. Back in the cubicle afternoon's boredom, virtual adventure can be found on the Internet video game offering a quest for world domination. When the work grind ceases, the drive home provides a reprieve from thinking and a nostalgic unwinding as the oldies stream on through satellite radio. And the trip down memory lane is interrupted by a stop at the soccer practice to pick up a young daughter who eagerly buckles up and warmly greets the Disney character coming to life on the DVD screen that descends in the back seat. After a welcome home kiss from the wife comes the irresistible beckoning to collapse in the lazy boy and grab the remote and scan all 300 digital cable channels to take the edge off the workday weariness. Following dinner, the TV illuminates the family room. It's all gathered to enjoy the hottest sitcoms, reality shows, and crime dramas. The day concludes with a drift into slumber to the soothing voice of a newscapper recapping the headlines on the bedroom TV. We are bombarded on all sides with the media coming into our home. Okay? And I think that there's more of a 
pull towards worldliness. Because I think even in Paul's day, right, manuscripts were few. I mean, even uh, I remember one of my, my professors talking about how he went over to um, the Soviet Union several years ago. It would have been 20 years ago, something like that. And he said they read everything they get because they don't have anything. Whatever newspaper they get, they read it top to bottom. And they've read everything that they have because they don't have anything to read. And then they said people, and that was all their influence, where today, you want to read anything. You just, you just look it up and you can read anything you want. And, and we're just inundated by all this information just coming around. And that information, for the most part, is not Christ-centered godly. Secular, oftentimes coming with an agenda. Oftentimes, whether, how it's, how's it paid for? It's paid for by advertising. Advertisers have agendas. They say, buy our stuff, buy our stuff. So they're going to try to convince us that the world is where the glamour is and we need those clothes. So we need to go buy those clothes or, or do this activity or buy these kind of cars. And it just always it's just bombarding us and bombarding us and bombarding us from all sides. And don't think that it passes all, any of us without its influence. I encourage you to guard well the influences that come into your life through the media lest you be conformed to this world. I remember going to a church gathering one time where there's a pastor. He had just adopted a child from China. And uh, in, in his trip over there, this was whatever, several years before I saw him, he had met some Christians. And so had some links, maybe he had some links before, but he got to know them. So he saw the underground church and saw the church and so had opportunities for ministry and particularly in the rural settings. And he was going around and ministering uh, to people and teaching the Bible, having Bible studies and worship services and things like that. And and uh, he was kind of giving a, a talk just about uh, religious life in China or what, what he has seen. And, and uh, I, I remember him talking about showing pictures. And in many of these homes, he went out in poor villages. In many of these homes, there was this, this set-apart shrine that was set up there. It's for ancestor worship. And almost every home is like, oh, there's shrine and there's incense that's burning. And what happens is someone dies, they have a funeral... And then for 49 days, they have this person's picture there and they, they kind of, because they, they believe the Spirit is there for the time of judgment and they're worshiping the Spirit. And then after 49 days, there's some kind of ancestral commemorative tablet that they, it's a piece of wood inscribed with their name of the dates of the deceased and they're kept in a small shrine at home and incense every day is burned on these things, kind of right there in the house. Offerings of food, prostrations are presented twice a month. And I remember seeing these pictures in the home. And just thinking about their idolatry. They're just simple folk, you know, probably without electricity, heated their homes with wood, had very little. And, and just, man, these are idol worshippers. They need Jesus. And, and then, I, then, I, then I thought about this. I said, what, what if they saw some pictures of our homes? What might they see in our homes? Well, Maybe they'd look at pictures of our, of our living rooms with these big couches all around and all facing towards this one place. And this one place, this big thing on the wall, right? That, that it was, it's, not, it's not burning. It's like flashing colors and making sounds. And, and they're like, oh, I see in America, we, we, do, we, we burn incense and they watch this thing. Now listen, I'm not condemning uh, you for having a large screen TV in your home. Believe me, I'm not. Okay, because I got you all licked. Um, we don't have a big plasma screen, but we've got a giant, uh, I'm not sure what you call it, pull-down screen. It is eight feet wide. 
pool's down six feet big. Okay, so the latest from whatever Home Depot or not Home Depot doesn't sell them, but Sam's or Walmart, whatever. I, I'm guessing they go six feet. How many? They go lots of inches. I don't know. We go ten feet, 120 inches. When we do, we just set up a projector and boom, we got it. We got to sit way back because it's it's pretty big. You can't you can't really take it all in. So we got a monster screen in our house. We have pretty fun movie nights, but we don't have many movie nights. How many a year? Three, maybe. One, maybe. <laughs> She's always asking for one, and we can never find the time to do it. And so, yeah, we got the big screen, but it's not it's not used very much. It takes some effort to pull out the DVD player. It takes some time to pull out the projector, but it takes only those few times, and we watch what we deem is something profitable and helpful for us as a, as a family to watch. But I warn all of you who have something on the wall that's easy to flick on in your cable that you can just flick it on and just say, ooh, I'm just going to sit down and watch. And pretty soon, just I'll, I'll go for five minutes. Pretty soon, five minutes become 30, become two hours as you get hooked. And that's why we don't have cable is because I would get hooked. Okay, so I'm not, I'm, I'm saying I'm weak at this. I just encourage you to be aware of all the things that come into your home. Television is seeking to conform you to the world. I remember reading George Orwell's classic 1984, Telescreens Everywhere. And these, you know, it's so interesting because not only were these screens televisions, but they also had the seeing eye that could watch and see. They were security cameras from the ruling party in Oceania, placed everywhere to keep its subjects under constant surveillance. But on top of the surveillance, right, they, they blasted their propaganda, right? Their false news reports, their false military victories, the, the national anthem. They even had this, this uh, code, this news speak is what they called it. The special dumbed down language with only so many, a limited number of words. Everything you had had to be used in these limited number of words. All to promote a people that would follow the ruling party in Oceania. Now, and, and I remember you know, several times I've seen, you know, there's things blaring. And if they ever wanted to talk, they need to go to a public place where there's lots of people talking. They could kind of whisper or they have to kind of get away in a corner someplace and maybe they could talk to somebody. Everything was under surveillance. And, and I think the only difference between what was happening in George Orwell's 1984 and what's happening today is that we can turn ours off. But sadly, many don't. And it just keeps blaring. 1984 is a reality in 2013. And I just have you just consider carefully what, what comes into your home. Whereas our culture used to be determined by literature, no longer is the case. It's all media driven. The Jews, the place is Jerusalem. The Muslims, it's Mecca. In America, the religious hub is Hollywood. It's where it comes from. It's where our idols are come from. And, and quite frankly, I fear the influence that Hollywood's making in our lives, even in the lives of professing believers. Recently, I was speaking to some fellow believers. They told me of a movie they went to. I said, oh, what movie was it? And so I got the movie. I didn't know anything about the movie. And so I'm, I'm like movie stupid, okay? So I don't... Um, so I looked up the movie on one of these sites. I don't know, I plugged in maybe uh, um, where it tells you about kind of what, what spiritually is going on and then whatever the violence and the language and the sexual content of this, of this thing. And uh, I, uh, I, I took this on my... I'm sure it was right here on my iPod Touch. And I looked it up. 
because I forget where we were, Yvonne. I, I looked it up and I, I, I just read it. And um, after I read it, I went, I felt like I polluted her mind, really. Um, as a husband, one of my responsibilities is to purify my wife. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the Word. The movie was rated PG-13 and the summary written for Christians, so it was careful in its language, was terrible. I felt, I felt like I never should have read that to you, Yvonne, to give you that perspective of what's happening. And then I'm thinking about these people who went to the movie. I'm thinking like, what's going to happen there? And then a couple weeks later, I heard of some other friends attending some movie. So I did the same thing. I kind of looked it up on the web and um, saw the language, violence, sexual content. And um, I I learned from my previous encounter, this again was a PG-13 movie. I looked up my iPod Touch and I kind of just scanned. I looked all of a 15 seconds. I said, here, Vine, here, look at this. And she looked at 15 seconds. I said, Guess we're not seeing that movie. But I'm telling you, scores of Christians are. And I'm, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm righteous. I'm just saying that, that I don't have a cable for a reason, right? And we don't go to movies for a reason. And I want to have a God-sanctified life because of the influence of the world and and um, descriptions are polluting. Joshua Harris is good. I listened to a talk he did recently upon media. He described the influence of media upon our souls. He says it's like a little bit like, like taking half a poison pill. It's like it's not going to kill you. But come on, why don't you come? Why don't you come and take half this poison pill with me? And then he talked about some people who pride themselves. Said, well, I'm discerning so I can see it. See, because I can discern, I'm rejecting it. And he said it was similar to someone who said, well, there's this donut here, see, but I'm disapproving of the calories, so I can eat it and it's not going to affect me. It will affect far beyond what we know. And I just say the world's influence through media is profound. So be on the guard. Don't be conformed to the world. Um, children pick up language from what they hear. They pick it up from their parents. They pick it up from movies. They pick it up all around. And you do too. Well, the temptation is far beyond television, it's far beyond movies, because we have computers, we have laptops, we have iPads, we have iPods, we have the Internet. We can't get away from our screens. And uh, these things are just as dangerous as movies are in prime time. Recently, um, Chris Jensen gave me this uh, DVD. It's really good. It's called Captivated. Written by a guy, you know, who goes to church out, he lives in Moline or something like that. And um, so it's a documentary based upon captivated finding freedom in a media captive culture. It uh, basically addresses how the issue of how screens have captured us talks about the danger, the influence of the world through the screen. It could be movies, video games, text messaging, email, Facebook, and it can be just not not bad content. okay? Um, because the Internet is something that can be used for good or bad. Right. And there's a lot of good out there, but sometimes it's too much good that it sucks so much time, and sometimes it's just frivolous. I don't think it's 
dangerous in and of itself, but so much time that you have. So, like, like for instance, one of the interviews I, I saw in here was pretty funny about Farmville on Facebook. I don't know anything about Farmville. All I know is this description. And she talked about how she, you know, apparently farming, like, maybe some of you know this, I don't, I don't know, but apparently that uh, what happens is in order to play Farmville, you need to, whatever, till your ground and then plant your seed and weed your garden and then you get a crop and then you got to take that and you got to, and you got basically got to touch your computer like, because otherwise your, your crop goes up, you didn't harvest it in time, it goes rotten. And, and so you go bigger and bigger and bigger. What it means is just more and more and more and more time. And she said, I was so addicted to this thing. I was spending, I don't, she didn't, I don't know if she said how much time she was spending, but just a lot of time every day and kind of she like lived to keep this Farmville going on her computer. And, um, and it really captured, and I don't think there's anything wrong with Farmville. I, I, you know, it sounds like a kind of a fun game where you kind of whatever, do, do these things and kind of grow stuff. That's, that's okay. It's kind of like virtual world domination, okay? But that, it's kind of like, it's okay. And um, she's t- more and more and more time, and then she got sick, was in bed with um, pneumonia, I think, for five days, and she went, <sighs> that was a huge blessing in disguise. Because she saw all of a sudden she went back and all her food was rotten and she had to start all over. And she said, what am I doing this for? It was a huge blessing to her. But So that's where something where, where time and I think like the Internet and media could just suck so much time. We could be doing other things. And in that sense, that's, that's what it, and what's wonderful about this document, this documentary, uh, documentary, docu- how do you say it? Documentary. It... Um, in fact, let me let me say this also. It's it's so good in, in our youth schedule. Sometimes we have dads and sons. Sometimes we have dads and daughters, mothers and daughters. And every six week we have a parental training time, parents training time. I'm going to show this at our next parents training time. So and that's for anybody. If you don't have kids, if you're thinking about kids, the future. If you say, "Wow, I've I've got a lot of media. Maybe I need to think about it." It's really well done. Uh, January 16th, come here, just kind of show it, and we'll, we'll talk about it. I think it'll be really good. I just want to kind of put it out there and to help you parents and maybe figure out how much time you're spending, what, what should you do as a home. That would be really good. Now, one of the fruits it's had of me watching it is I've begun to read to my kids a little bit more, thinking like, oh, they need more daddy time, they need screen time. That would be very helpful for them. But one of the things I appreciate about this documentary is it does a great job of putting how how much happier people are when they have a God-focused life as opposed to having a media-focused life. Um, there are plenty of testimonies of people who found themselves addicted to media for some reason. And at one point, they set aside for a week. Or one dad said, you know what, we're going to go on a media fast here for a month. And then just kind of every night, they, they chose to do things instead with the family, played card games or whatever. And he said, transform their family and they realize they don't need that stuff, and they're a lot happier doing face-to-face communication the way God made us rather than everything through a screen. And, and, and just joy on their faces just, look, just speaks volumes. Um, in fact, there's even one for troubled children. Uh, there's a camp that highlights. You go there, you lose all your cell phone, all your computers. They're out with horses, and they're out building kind of barns and cabs. I don't even know where it is. It's someplace, um, and how much the children grow. At first they say, oh, I can't be without my cell phone. And then they realize, I can be without my cell phone. I can be, I can be without my Facebook. It's okay. So all of you who are thinking about, oh, can't give it up. You can give it up. And it might be good for you. It could be influencing you so bad. For bad. Anyway. So anyway, January 16th, 6.30 here at the church. We're going to do that. And But one of the things that's good about this uh, documentary is that it shows 
how a renewed mind, I mean, it's Christian focus, so we really talk about then focusing and reading the scriptures and being transformed. And that's my fourth point here this morning. Being transformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so I ask this question, how do you fight from being conformed to this world? First of all, you've got to realize where the battleground is. In the Civil War, they found big open spaces in which they could fight in these rows of people, right? They marched forward and, and shoot at each other in these rows. That's where the battlefield was. In, um, in Iraq, Desert Storm, the war was in the desert areas. In Afghanistan, it's in the hills and the mountains. And do you know where your battle is when it comes to worldliness? It's right in your noggin. It's in your head. That's where your battle is, where your thinking is. It is in your mind. A professor at seminary used to talk about... Um, Aiming the mind is the key to sanctification. Thinking right is the key to sanctification. And he got, he got his thoughts from verses like this, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Being transformed, being changed. Now, this word transformed is used only three times in Scripture. Twice it's used of Jesus being transformed at the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember that? He went up on this mountain with Peter, James, and John, and all of a sudden he was transfigured before them. His garments became radiant white, seeing the white as no launder on earth could whiten them. And that's what God calls us to do with our minds, right? Change our minds, right? Go from a, from a person Jesus, a God-man, to let the deity shine through so it's so different. It's blazing white. That, that's the idea of our minds, kind of totally transformed. He wants us to be different than the world. He wants our minds to become more and more and more like the mind of God. The third place where it's used is 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding us in a mirror dimly, the face, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. There it is. As we look to Christ, we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. In other words, talking about a, a transformation that, that God brings us through in this life to conform us to the image of His Son. And then this word renewing is only used a couple of times as well. It, it describes being made new. Described the process of being a believer. God, Titus 3.5 He saved us, not according to deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing. By the Holy Spirit. Just a, a renewing, just something different. We think differently now than we ever did before. It's used in 2 Corinthians 4.16 about contrasting our mind with our body. Our body's getting older. But good news, your mind can get better and renewed day by day. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And in Colossians 3.10, it's used much like we have here in this passage. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of one who created him. And that's what we must do, church family. We must get our minds right and thinking right and have renewed, renewed minds. Our bodies will go. We let our bodies go, right? Bodily discipline is of little profit, but, but godly discipline is, is profitable because your mind can, can grow in holiness and righteousness. Now, it may make us weird. It may make us different. Uh, I remember we were years ago at, at, uh, at Kishwaukee Bible Church, an old high school friend of mine came to church and his wife, then looking back, reflecting upon it, it, it became the means of her conversion, um, actually. But they're going to some church and they came here to where we were. And her comment was, the people at the church are really weird. They're strange. Now, we weren't strange because we 
wore hats or because we all wore trousers or we didn't wear belts or we had some other kind of, you know, it's not like some outward thing that we did or we weren't strange because of some customs that we did. Like, whoa, that's weird. We're strange. Why? Because we talked about God and because we love God and because we want to be serious about pursuing Him and following after Him. That was strange to her. But it was attractive. And that's how we need to be strange. We need to be different. We had a cable guy come to our, our door recently. He knocked on the door, tried to sell us cable. We, we switched our internet with him. And, and he says, well, who do you have for cable? And I said, oh, we don't have cable. And he was like, <laughs> what did you say? And I said, we don't have cable. And he was like, kind of confounded. Like, of course everyone has cable, right? I said, no, we don't have cable. And he wanted to sell us cable. I said, no, we're fine. Just, just how we are. Thank you very much. And he, I'm sure he thought we were strange. All right. But... Let's be strange in those ways. Let's be strange in seeking the Lord with, with everything in our, our whole hearts completely to Him. And, and I know of no other way to do this, all right? But to intake God's Word into our mind in large doses. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. That is God's Word coming in, the message of the Gospel, the message of Christ crucified coming into our minds, dwelling in us richly, and it is there, and we think on it, and we delight upon it. And I just say this, when God's Word is in your mind, it will have an effect upon your life. It will help to transform you to the image of His Son rather than being conformed to the world. And I just say this, be as active as you can to get God's Word into your mind. As Darren read for us, Psalm 119, verse 20, be crushed with longing for His Word. In fact, even, right, he read Psalm 119, verse 11, how can a young man keep his way pure? Verse 9, by keeping it according to your Word. You keep your way pure. You live a holy, righteous life by, by having your Word. Your Word have I treasured my heart that I might not sin against you. Just putting it in there. So read the Bible. Read books about the Bible. Listen to the Bible. Listen to books about the Bible. Listen to sermon. Listen to good things. Now, one of the things I most appreciate about the Internet is that we can customize the way we want. Right? You watch TV and you watch whatever the, the TV station says. Now we, by the way, full disclosure, I do watch TV. Okay? I watched some of the games last night. Okay? Go Packers. Laura, wherever you are. Go. I'm, I was rooting for Aaron. So that's, that's okay. I'm... And with that, that's my weakness. So if I need to grow this, I need to grow from my TV. But um, we're at the mercy. We've got we to gotta tune in when they're on. Internet's a totally different game. We're the radio station. We're the TV station. We can choose what we watch and when we watch. What a wonderful, what a wonderful thing that is. And so get some good podcasts and listen to them. Um, in the past couple of years, Yvonne and I, Al Mohler's got a great podcast, 15 minutes every day. He's a brilliant guy. He just reads the New York Times and Time Magazine, things like that. He just talks about what's going on in the world with a Christian worldview, and he's brilliant. And uh, we're up on the news 15 minutes every day, kind of while we're in the shower, and um, it's good stuff. Find some podcasts. You know, you can listen to, go to oneplace.com. You can listen to any Christian ministry you want. Just anything is out there. But, but so choose when you're listening. Choose Choose what's best for you. Now, there are some times for some rest, okay? If you've got to listen to music because my mind is just too much, that's fine. If your music's really stirring your love for Jesus, boy, listen to that. But, but listen to everything so as to stir your heart and your mind Godward in a holy, righteous way. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes this year, transform your mind by renewing it constantly on God's Word. Memorize it. Meditate on it. So, so for instance... Um, I've been, 
As a family, a couple of years ago, we memorized Psalm 73, but it's, it's kind of out there. Um, but I've picked it up here the last two weeks. So I don't, I don't have, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna tell you Psalm 73. I'm gonna try, you know, towards the end, I don't have the last couple of verses, because I'm working on them, okay? And I've been working on this the last two weeks probably. It says this, Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overthrow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They have set their hearts against the heavens and their, mind, their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore, His people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and been rebuked in the morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. And when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. Hang on here. It's coming. Make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, utterly swept away by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When I was, when I was, help me Phil, when I was, when my heart was embittered and I was pricked within, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You uphold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing I desire but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. And it finishes something like this. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good that I may something good. I, I'm, not, I'm not there. I'm just showing you I'm working at this to try to get it there. It's been the last couple of weeks. Well, think about that message, right? Psalm 73. Truly God is good to those who are pure in heart. But you know what? The world is over here and they're enjoying their, 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 their treasures and they're enjoying their pleasures and they have no pangs until death. They're fat. They're sleek. They're sitting on their sofas. They're doing nothing but watching TV. And what am I doing? I'm out here walking with Christ and facing the trials and facing the difficulties. And I'm saying it's not fair. All in vain, verse 13, I've kept my heart pure. I've washed my hands in innocence vainly. It's, it's for naught. And then he says, oh, but then I went in the sanctuary of God and I saw the world is out there having their pleasures. And I know their end, but I know our end. It is so much better to be good in the house of the Lord with God's people. It is so much better to be here. So I don't envy them anymore because I want to be right here. And so think about that. As I've been memorizing, it's been on my mind. What's that going to do for my soul? And what do you think memorizing Scripture is going to do for your soul as you think about it and meditate on it? Things of this earth will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. 
Let me finish. Bunyan-esque. Summarizing verses 1 and 2. We came to the gate called Submission, and once passed through it, we entered a sanctuary. And upon its altars are engraved the words, A living and holy sacrifice. As an act of worship and full surrender, we laid ourselves upon the altar. And as we did, the door-marked world began slowly closing and a stairway appeared called transformation. With each step we took up the transforming staircase, our thoughts became more and more God-conscious and our understanding of His will even clearer and our memories of the world more distant and faint. Upon each step was the Word of God, and with each step taken, our minds were renewed, and we knew that with every fiber of our being, that walking in the Word of God is the only pathway marked good, acceptable, and perfect. It's a Bunyan-esque Pilgrim's Progress rendering of this verse. So let's pray. Father, I pray that You would help us all at this church to place our bodies on the altar called Submission. And the door to the world would shut and that we would gladly take up that staircase called transformation. That with every step of the Word of God in our minds, God, you would cause the world to fade slowly away and find our pleasures with you. As Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God, may you do that with us for 2013. May it mark a a time of transformation in our hearts and our lives. God, to, to live holy, devoted to you. May we may we live in light of your mercies, God. Do your work, O Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.